have been hit hard by a severe drought this year. If we are going to grow a lot more food, where will the water come from? Intensification of agriculture is one response to the food crisis. The regulatory environment is kind of the key. We need to increase productivity sustainably. How do we move into the future? Welcome to the Food Systems Podcast. My name is Franziska Gaub and I'm a research scholar at the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis, YASA. In today's episode, I talk to Mauricio Lopez, a YASA visiting scholar from Brazil, who joined our institute for one year after he finished his second term as the president of Embrapa, the Brazilian Agricultural Research Corporation. I speak with Mauricio about his childhood and youth in Brazil, how he became an agronomist and then joined Embrapa, where he would continue to work for the next 30 years. We talk about the development and transformation of Brazil's agricultural sector into one of the largest agricultural exporters in the world. We speak about deforestation and the forest code and the future of agriculture in Brazil. Mauricio explains how we can use the multifunctional nature of agriculture and why sustainable intensification is key to ensure food security for the coming decades. Welcome to the Food Systems Podcast, Mauricio. You're here at YASA as an Embrapa Visiting Research Scholar for one year. Embrapa, that's the Brazilian Agricultural Research Corporation, which has nearly 10,000 employees, of which around 2,500 are scientists. You were the president of Embrapa before you came here. And can I say you're the president on a sabbatical at YASA? Is that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, first of all, thank you so much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, uh, I was uh, president of Embrapa for six years. Uh, before that, I was director of research and development for two years. And it's normal uh, coming out of uh, such a mission to go uh, on a sabbatical uh, as a, you know, a decompression phase, <laughs> if we can call it okay. like that. <laughs> <laughs> and we see each other regularly at lunch in our Yasa canteen and we often have super interesting lunch discussions. So I'm really, really happy to have the chance to talk to you in my podcast. And yeah, thanks again for joining. Oh, it's great uh, to talk to you. Thanks uh, for this opportunity. I want to talk to you about agriculture in Brazil and its development over the decades. But before we get into that, I would love to hear a little bit about you, Mauricio, and about how and where your career started. You said once that you grew up on a farm in Brazil in the 60s, 70s. Can you take us back into that time? How did the life of a teenager on a Brazilian farm in the 1970s look like? Oh, it was really fantastic. I was born in this uh, small uh, town in the uh, southeast Brazil, in the state of Minas Gerais. Uh, my, my grandparents, my, my, my parents were dedicated to farming. This is dairy cattle uh, production area. Uh, so. I spent uh, most of my youth in, in the farm. Uh, my, my grandfather had this really uh, nice farm, not uh, far from the city, mm -hmm. with a really big uh, house with lots of rooms, lots of things to explore, a huge orchard with fruit trees. And uh, I've learned a lot about dairy cattle uh, and uh, animal production. And we had also a stream nearby that uh, we used to go to swim and to fish. It was really uh, fun. It wow. was really great. That uh, sounds uh, like a really, really nice yeah, childhood. Yeah. <laughs> You then also went to university and studied agronomic engineering at the Federal University of Vissosa. 
And was was the plan that all along that you would become a farmer yourself? Was that clear from your childhood on and that you would go back and maybe take over the farm? Well, uh, yes, it was. that was the original plan. Before going to Visosa for my, my agronomy training, I went to uh, a secondary school, w mm -hmm. which uh, was also dedicated to training young uh, people to go back to their families and to take care of the farms, ah. not far from my, my mm -hmm. city. It was a very interesting school. It was a secondary school. We spent a half a day Uh, taking classes and the other half of the day uh, training and uh, doing all sorts of things in that farm, which was also a school. After that, obviously, I, I went to Visosa to get my degree in, in agronomy. Uh, in Visosa, I was exposed uh, to research for the first time. I was a teaching assistant in the biology and in the soils department. I had the chance to interact with uh, professors doing very interesting uh, research. So when I finished agronomy, I knew that I wanted to, to dedicate my life to, to science. And instead of returning back to the farm of your parents, how did your parents react to that? Well, uh, quite well. Uh, especially because I, I started my work with Embrapa in, mm -hmm. a, in, in a not so far place. I was like 200 kilometers from my hometown. I went back quite uh, frequently. I was always uh, helping also uh, my father with uh, new ideas and uh, new things to do. Uh, ah, so on, you could test out your new research results immediately. Yeah. So your, your father's, your parents' farm was kind of your experimental station. <laughs> yes, it was uh, sort of uh, that. And uh, yes, but it was my first contact with uh, Embrapa. I, I worked uh, for a few years for this Maison Sorghum Center, mm -hmm. which is uh, located in, in the same uh, state. In this uh, research unit, I was uh, working with the plant breeding team, uh, mm -hmm. with the corn uh, breeding team. So I got my initial training and my initial experience with corn genetics and corn breeding at this uh, research uh, unit uh, in Sete Lagoas, uh, uh, an Embrapa unit. Mm -hmm. But you did not just stay in Brazil. You also then went to the U.S. to do a master's degree at the Purdue University. How did you come to the decision to, to move to the U.S. and to continue your career there, your university career? Well, uh, working with Embrapa as a breeder, I, I had a lot of contact with this international uh, research organization, CIMIT, the International Maize and Wheat Research uh, Center of the CGIR. And we had a lot of collaboration in this large program, uh, Breeding Corn for the Brazilian Savannas. And I was offered a scholarship from CIMIT to go to, to the U.S. and ah, to fantastic. get my master's uh, there. Yeah. You also did not stop after your master's. You continued with a PhD in the U.S. that you did at the University of Arizona, and I think also funded by Brazil. Um, so you really decided to, to go into research and, and become a, a scientist. Absolutely. I was uh, absolutely amazed uh, with Uh, the research uh, going on in, in, in the Department of Botany and Plant Pathology and also Agronomy at Purdue. Uh, my major professor decided to move uh, to Arizona to be a department head there, so he invited me to uh, go and uh, join him at the University of Arizona 
Fortunately, I got a scholarship to do my PhD from uh, Brazil, and I was able to stay with him until the mid-1993. Uh, uh, when I finished my PhD, I, and I went back to Embrapa in Brazil. But that was always clear that you would go back to Brazil and, and apply your knowledge there? Or did you have the temptation to stay in the U.S.? No, absolutely. It was clear. Uh, when I was finishing my master's, Embrapa opened the position for a plant breeder. Mm -hmm. I went back and I was able to get that position. So I did my Ph.D. as a scientist in the, the staff of Embrapa. So I, I, I knew that I, I was going back. Uh, ah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and there's actually a really funny anecdote. When I prepared the interview, I saw that interestingly on the Embrapa uh, website, the date of hire of its employees uh, is published. And your date of hire is the 1st of September 1989. So this means that in a few days, you'll celebrate your 30th work anniversary. That's fantastic. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is amazing. Yeah? Uh, and I've, I've been really happy. Uh, I've learned a lot with this organization. Embrapa gave me many many opportunities. I'm really happy and, and very proud uh, of uh, being uh, a scientist with this organization. Yeah, and, and you really, yeah, you were really loyal to Embrapa your entire career. Um, you, you, you mentioned already you started as a maize breeder, you became the head of research and development of the Maze and Circum Center. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what were the biggest challenges back then? Well, uh, The first thing was to, to combine my career as a scientist and as a manager. Mm -hmm. I was heading the plant breeding program of the Maize and Sorghum Center, and then I was invited to, to embrace this challenge of uh, heading the research and development uh, division of the, the unit. And it was quite uh, challenging to balance and uh, to, to manage my time between management and, uh, and research. And uh, by the end of the year 2000, by the beginning of the year 2000, I was invited to go to Brasilia, to the headquarters of Embrapa, mm -hmm. to head uh, the Department of Research and Development for the entire organization. And then things wow. became really uh, more challenging. Mm -hmm. Embrapa, as you said at the beginning, is a quite large organization at that time. Embrapa had uh, 47 research units wow. scattered throughout Brazil. So you imagine uh, managing uh, the entire research and development uh, division of uh, such a large organization is, is quite challenging. But also it was quite re rewarding because at that time we, we were thinking about new methods, new strategies. I was able to lead a group that uh, revised completely the way to organize and to manage uh, research and development at Embrapa. And this system is still in place up to this day, so I'm quite proud of it. Wow, that yeah. sounds amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Your career at Embrapa continues. You became, as you said, the head of research and development of the entire organization and the head of research and development of Embrapa's Genetic Resource and Biotechnology Center. And then the only break, if I can say break, uh, that you had in Embrapa was that you moved to Asia for a little bit, also with Embrapa. You went to South Korea in 2009 and you led Embrapa's International Cooperation Program in Asia in association with the Rural Development Administration. Can you explain us a little bit why an organization like Embrapa has international cooperations in other countries? Well, uh, the, Embrapa is very much engaged in, in international cooperation. We have, we have basically two 
venues for that. We have technical cooperation with uh, countries in the tropical belt of the world, usually transferring technologies and knowledge uh, generated in Brazil to countries that have conditions similar to ours. But I was very much involved in our scientific cooperation program, which is quite comprehensive. Embrapa has uh, offices in, in different parts of uh, uh, the world. We have offices in the US, here in Europe, in Montpellier, in France. And I was given this mission to start this program in Asia with Korea, in partnership with Korea. Later, we expanded it to, uh, to China. The, basically, the idea is to, to get uh, connection and collaboration with countries that are advanced in uh, the development of uh, agricultural technology. So by having these offices abroad and by having senior scientists uh, located in these different countries, we increase our capacity to connect, to synergize, to collaborate, to network. So it's a mutual learning process Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Uh, and also, uh, we open our units to scientists from these countries that receive us. They can also send their researchers to Brazil. It's a quite interesting a program called LabEx, which is uh, our labs abroad. And uh, it gives us uh, this opportunity to connect and to network and to stay in, in, in connection with uh, the frontier of uh, uh, science uh, for agricultural innovation. And what would you say is the main difference between agriculture in Brazil and South Korea? Oh, there are many differences. Obviously, scale is the, the most important. Brazil is, is a quite big, is a continental co country. Uh, Korea is much smaller, but quite advanced also. Our major objective in the collaboration with uh, Korea was to uh, work on, say, really cutting-edge areas like the interface between agriculture and bioeconomy, the new uh, tools coming from advanced biology. Also, Korea is quite advanced in instrumentation, in automation, in protected agriculture like uh, with very sophisticated greenhouses and and there are many possibilities to interact and to collaborate and it was a quite uh, rich experience uh, being in Korea. And also Koreans are very much engaged into scenario analysis, in modeling possible futures, and I've learned a lot with the Korean think tanks that are full-time dedicated to think about the future and to think about new possibilities and new uh, challenges. This new knowledge then you took back to Brazil in 2012, you became the president of Embrapa and one of your tasks there was also to collaborate with and bring together academia, industry, government ministries and multilateral development organizations. What were the biggest challenges in, in doing that? Well, uh, I, I came back during a, a phase of transition, new challenges emerging, a lot of uh, questions related to sustainability, a lot of pressure uh, for us to, to, to change uh, our way of doing things. Brazil became quite visible because of this uh, condition of being a mega diverse country with a huge biological diversity, but also a mega producer, uh, mm -hmm. uh, an important producer 
of uh, uh, agriculture producer and exporter. So managing this uh, uh, dual condition is never easy. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is a challenge for an organization like Embrapa. So my major challenge was to uh, rethink structure, processes, uh, human resources, that are needed for this, uh, say, new uh, reality that we are uh, completely immersed uh, on now. Uh, I, I immediately started a unit uh, in Abrapa on uh, what we call strategic intelligence, and a strategic in intelligence unit, which was also uh, uh, something that I took from my experience in Korea. They invest a lot in strategic intelligence, in thinking about the possible future. So uh, I think the most important thing that I've done was uh, to, uh, to implement this unit to help us think about the future in a systematic way. Also, I uh, was very much engaged in, in collaboration with the private sector, bringing the private sector to combine uh, capacity with us. It's also a way to bring new resources into the organization, and uh, it's been quite successful. The other thing that I've done was to invest in this concept of a mixed unit, mixing capacities from Embrapa, which is a public research organization with uh, academic institutions. So we, we've been able to put together mixed units between Embrapa and universities so we can join forces and uh, bring together the, the value from these two uh, domains of uh, science and knowledge. So yeah, lots of things, but really challenging things because uh, they mean changing structures, rethinking, and uh, you know, uh, uh, many times um, uh, finishing up uh, old uh, ways of doing things and uh, starting uh, new ways of thinking and operating, which is uh, uh, always quite uh, uh, challenging. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the agriculture and the development of agriculture in Brazil over the decades. You gave a very interesting presentation recently here at Yasa, where you spoke about two big transformations in Brazilian agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's really impressive what happened in Brazil in the past four decades. In the 70s, Brazil was basically known as producer and exporter of sugar and coffee. Mm -hmm. And in 40 years, uh, Brazil uh, not only became a food secure country, but also became an important uh, Uh, producer and exporter to yeah. many markets around the world. I was totally surprised when I heard that you said before the 70s, Brazil was not food secure. Because for me, Brazil, as you said, is like the big producer of so many crops. And, and that was a surprise to me when you talked about it. Oh, yeah. That. When I was a young kid, uh, it was very common uh, for us to see uh, uh, crisis uh, because uh, the, the cost of uh, beef or rice was too high, importing it was a, a, a huge burden to our economy. Brazil was importing food uh, mm. in, in the 60s and in the 70s. And in only 40 years, we've been able to revert completely this uh, situation. And basically, uh, this happened because Brazil was able to combine investments in science and innovation and public policies to uh, boost it, its, uh, uh, its capacity to produce food uh, 
its population, but also to produce uh, more uh, uh, to export and helping uh, to develop our, our economy. Basically, we, we can divide uh, this um, revolution, if we can call it like that. It, was, it happened in, in a very short period of time, so it was really a revolution that happened in Brazil. The first part of this uh, revolution was to uh, bring scientific knowledge and public policies to help Brazil overcome the most serious problems that we, we had there. Our, our soils are naturally very poor, Mm -hmm. So we had to learn about uh, th these soils and we had to build the fertility of these soils. This was one major achievement of uh, agricultural science in Brazil. Also, uh, most of our important crops are imported from other parts of the world. From especially from uh, temperate countries. We had to tropicalize them, we had to adapt them to our uh, tropical areas like we we've been able to tropicalize uh, soybeans and corn and now we are moving into uh, uh, adapting uh, wheat to the tropical areas of Brazil so the, the second big contribution of agricultural science in, in Brazil was the tropicalization of crops. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, we invested a lot in uh, uh, the development and dissemination of more sustainable practices, like uh, minimum and no-till uh, systems to avoid erosion and uh, degradation of our soils, using technologies like uh, nitrogen fixations in soybeans that help us uh, to develop this crop in a more sustainable way. So this first phase and these three big developments, uh, conquering our soils and building the fertility of our soils, tropicalizing our, our most important crops and incorporating uh, sustainable practices helped Brazil to achieve uh, food security Mm -hmm. and also helped us to uh, increase our capacity to export. Uh, today, Brazil export is one of the largest agricultural exports and exporters in the world. We reach over 150 markets around the world with our agricultural products. It was really uh, something uh, really important that happened in the, in the country in the short period of four decades. Yeah, crazy. And today, Brazil is really known as one of the global breadbaskets. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, we had this uh, second phase. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with all the, the concerns related to uh, sustainability of uh, 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 our agricultural systems, all the concerns emerging uh, in relation to greenhouse gas emissions and, and climate uh, change. And again, Brazil being a mega diverse country, this challenge of uh, managing our huge uh, natural diversity in a sustainable, in an intelligent way became also a huge uh, challenge for us. So uh, then Embrapa and all the uh, agriculture innovation system in Brazil entered uh, this phase uh, with lots of uh, emphasis in, in sustainability, which is uh, something that we've been dedicated to for the past uh, uh, 15 to 20 years. Mm. And one of those policies that has to do with the sustainability is the forest code. Can you maybe quickly talk about that? Yes, uh, the, the, the forest code is, is uh, a, a quite a unique uh, public policy. It's, uh, it was designed 
to help uh, Brazil encourage its uh, farmers to conserve natural resources within private areas. Brazil has already a, a quite comprehensive strategy for uh, biodiversity and natural resources conservation in public areas, in large national parks and conservation areas, but we have over 5 million uh, farms in Brazil. So and it, it became very important to encourage farmers to conserve biodiversity, the water resources within their properties. We didn't want uh, 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 the private uh, units in Brazil to take the same approach that uh, happened in, in many other places in the world. Farmers being able to deforest completely their areas and use them only for agricultural production. So this is a unique uh, public policy that enforces the conservation of uh, natural forests and the protection of uh, water sources within private properties. So it's uh, been implemented since 2012 and I consider this uh, a really a major move of Brazil to really drive its uh, agriculture towards a, uh, say, uh, a sustainable concept. Mm -hmm. I think in, in farmland, the, the percentage is 20%, right? That farmers have to, to protect. It to depends where you are area. in Brazil. If you mm -hmm. are in the, in the Amazon mm -hmm. biome, you are supposed to save 80% of mm -hmm. your land. If you are <coughs> in, the, uh, in the, 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 the Cerrado area, within this large uh, area of the Amazon biome, you are supposed to save 35% of your area. And the, if you are in the remaining uh, parts of Brazil that have been uh, used for agriculture for centuries, you are supposed to save 20% of your, your uh, private land. Mm -hmm. And in a presentation that you gave at IFPRI, you also talked about this forestry code and you said, and we want to keep it that way. If I read the news now about the current administration in Brazil, I read about fears of environmentalists that this forestry code will be softened. And I read about that the current government thinks that restoration harms agricultural production. What is your take on this? Well, uh, first of all, this is a law that was approved in 2012. There was a huge uh, debate uh, for us to reach that condition and to approve this legislation. I think most uh, Brazilians are aware of the importance uh, of this uh, legislation. This is a huge asset for our country, for our farmers, considering the importance that uh, consumers around the world are giving to uh, sustainability. So I, uh, I, I'm not really uh, hugely concerned with, uh, say, an eventual loss of this uh, legislation. I, I don't think it will ever happen. I see uh, the important leaders in Brazil uh, uh, promoting and defending the, the, the forestry code. And I think it will eventually uh, uh, consolidate a, a new way of uh, farming in the country. Uh, I, I really uh, don't see a major risk uh, uh, for the forest uh, code in, in my country. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's really good to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you're so optimistic about that. Um, yeah, speaking about the future and where Brazil's agriculture go, 
what what do you think should happen and what do you think is happening in the agricultural development in Brazil? Well, uh, I think uh, we are moving quite um, uh, quickly into this new concept that I call sustainable intensification. Because of the forest uh, code that limits the physical expansion of uh, farms in Brazil. So the tendency now is to intensify the use of the land that is already op opened and dedicated to farming. So there is a huge development in Brazil now uh, in this uh, concept of uh, integrated uh, crop livestock, crop livestock and forestry systems. This is gaining a lot of traction. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? What does that mean? How does it look like? Well, uh, since uh, uh, most of our agricultural areas are in the tropical belt of the world, we have conditions that allow farmers to uh, really use their land 365 days a year. Wow, okay. So it's perfectly possible in, in really large agricultural areas in Brazil to plant like early cycle uh, soybeans in December, to harvest them in January, February, to plant after that, immediately after corn, Mm -hmm. And we plant corn together with uh, uh, the seed of this pasture called brachiaria. Mm -hmm. So when we harvest corn, we already have a pasture ready to be grazed. Oh, wow. And then you can bring mm -hmm. the cattle. Mm -hmm. And then you, at the end of this cycle, you desiccate uh, the, the remaining pasture and you have the conditions for uh, planting uh, soybeans again in a, min a minimum or no-till uh, system. So this is a way to intensify the use of land uh, with one, one crop, uh, one uh, harvest of, of soybeans, a second one of corn, a third of beef. Uh, and also in many places in Brazil, it's possible to add trees in the system, it, it, which is uh, called the, uh, the crop, livestock and forestry system. By adding trees, in the agricultural system, we can help decarbonize the whole uh, process. Embrapa, uh, by using a crop, livestock, and forestry systems, is developing the metrics and the traceability that will allow us to uh, produce like zero carbon beef. Wow. Because if you have uh, uh, trees mm -hmm. combined with your pastures, mm -hmm. uh, you can offset the emissions coming from uh, the, the, the cattle, which mm -hmm. is methane, yeah. with uh, the carbon that is being uh, immobilized by the trees. So uh, this is definitely the tendency in Brazil. So we are, I think, de developing and consolidating now a process that will definitely be a reference in the tropical belt of the world in the future. I have no doubt about it. And by that also Brazil can continue to be a major exporter and, and meet the global rising food demand. Absolutely, while conserving our natural forests and our water sources. Well, Brazil has also a very interesting program on low carbon agricultural production. This, this is a public policy that encourages uh, farmers to uptake, to use technologies uh, for uh, uh, low carbon emission, like uh, nitrogen fixations in different crops, uh, this combination of crop livestock, 
crop livestock forestry technologies to uh, reduce uh, waste from agricultural production so by combining protection to our biodiversity by protecting our water sources and by incorporating technologies to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, I, I have no doubt we are uh, building a huge asset mm-hmm. for our agriculture in the future. I, uh, and I think this is uh, the way uh, to go. Wow, that sounds really, really impressive. Um, before we finish the interview, I have two last questions. Imagine I have organized a session for you at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos and you can do with it whatever you want. What would be the topic and who would you invite? Oof, uh, this is a tough one. Well, let me see. I think uh, the topic that I would uh, choose would be like um, agriculture in the emerging bioeconomy. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that we have uh, to talk a lot more about. Uh, uh, I think the bioeconomy that is emerging is a a fantastic way for us to explore the multifunctional nature of agriculture. I think of all human activities, agriculture is probably the most multifunctional one. It can provide uh, food, feed and fiber. It can provide sustainable fuels, uh, uh, sustainable energy. It can help us bridge this gap between food, nutrition and health. Agriculture can be a a provider of environmental services and uh, ecosystemic services. Uh, Agriculture can interface with uh, the new bio-industries, like use biomass for new chemicals, uh, helping us to uh, reduce the footprint of this industry. I definitely would uh, share light on this, the, all the possibilities as we merge agriculture with the new uh, bioeconomy. People, to, to talk about it, uh, I think I would invite uh, the DG of FAO, mm-hmm. the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. I think I would invite uh, Bill Gates, who is, <laughs> I think, uh, he is uh, really very much into Uh, a new concept of agriculture, more sustainable and more efficient. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs, I think, uh, uh, because of how his uh, work on sustainability and also his attention to uh, agricultural production. I would also invite um, my colleague here at Yaza, Michael Obersteiner, <laughs> who I think he is, uh, he is really bright and looking at system analysis as a way to drive new, uh, uh, new thinking on uh, agriculture, land use and sustainability. And I obviously would invite also the president of Embrapa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope those people now listen well and then I hope this session will, will come true. It sounds very exciting. (laughs) Um, And my last question, by the end of your career, what do you wish you will have impacted and want to be remembered for as an actor in the global food system? Well, I I always like to think that the end of my career is still very far (laughs) in in the future. I I hope I still have like 20 or 30 years of uh, productive uh, uh, career. That's the nice thing of being a scientist. But uh, 
to me, it's uh, a lot more important to see my organization uh, recognized. Embrapa has done a huge uh, contribution to the Brazilian society. It, uh, Embrapa is helping us to devise a new way of uh, uh, to farm in the tropical belt, which is one of the most challenging areas in the world. So uh, to me, it would suffice to see my organization uh, well uh, recognized uh, for uh, the contributions that it, it has given to the Brazilian society and, and to the world. And uh, since I, w I intend to dedicate the remaining of my career to this uh, uh, to, to this challenge of translating science into policy. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here uh, at IASA, because I think this is a reference organization in the world in, uh, the, for this challenge of uh, really uh, translating uh, all the fantastic knowledge that science has been produced in, uh, into uh, uh, policies to inform uh, uh, policy improvement and policy uh, formulation. So, and who knows, uh, in the future, I, I could also be uh, recognized as a, a Brazilian that was able to give an important contribution uh, in, for this uh, huge challenge of, uh, for all of us being more effective uh, to transform uh, the knowledge coming out of this fantastic uh, science uh, that we've been developing into really uh, good uh, and important impact uh, for, for, for society and for our earth. Huh? Why not? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, I wish you all the best for, for those next steps, Mauricio. And thank you so much for coming to my Food Systems podcast. Uh, it was really nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It was really great uh, to talk uh, to you. Thank you, Francisco. Thank you.